super excited. My name is Angie. Um, Pastor Mike and Rhonda are still enjoying family time with their family in Texas, and I'm super excited to introduce to you our preacher this morning, all the way from Florida. He serves as a second lieutenant at Eglin Air Force Base, is working on his Master's in Divinity through um, Liberty University, and he's my boy. (laughs) So please welcome Caleb Gergen as he comes to deliver the word. Good morning. Happy New Year. How's everybody doing? Great. Great. As you can hear, I'm a little bit hoarse this morning, so bear with me. Uh, We're going to get through it. Uh, I've got an awesome message, which I know is from God, um, because it's just correlated a lot with what's been going on this morning. And uh, and that just doesn't happen by chance. So, And you know what? Jesus did his mission. This is my mission, is to preach and proclaim the good news. That's your mission, right? I'm going to fulfill my mission, because Jesus did it. So uh, I'm a little bit hoarse. Bear with me. We're going to fulfill our mission this morning, right? Amen. Uh, before I get going, I just want to say thank you uh, to you, you as the church, because I was uh, raised up in this church. I have a big heart for this church. Harvest isn't um, just a building for me. It's not just a people for me. Uh, this is my home, and this is my family, and I love you all. Um, I got to go out and see the new church building just the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got to go out and see the new church building the other day. It's beautiful. I'm excited to see what God does through that. Um, but you know what? Our church isn't just for Alexandria. Our church isn't just for the state of Minnesota. It's not even for the state or for the United States. Our church is for the world. You can see these uh, flags that we have hanging up around the sanctuary. These are all nations that we've been to, that we've poured out into. Uh, Pastor Mike Miranda, I know them very well. They have a heart for the Great Commission. And their, uh, their heart and their ministry, it goes all the way through the world. And when you're pouring into this church building, when you're pouring into this church, you're not just pouring into the Alexandria area. You're pouring in to, to Israel, you're pouring into Sri Lanka, you're pouring into India, to Russia, to China. And there's eternal rewards for that. Amen. And really what you have the opportunity to do is you have the opportunity to be a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. I love the scripture in Matthew 16, 18 through 19. It says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock being that Jesus Christ was Lord, the rock being that he died and was resurrected, and you have freedom from your sin. Amen? On this rock, on this truth, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Church, you are an offensive tool. You are a weapon against the kingdom of darkness. Amen? And when you realize the power and the authority that you have on the cross, when you realize that whatever you say in the name of Jesus, you are bound, whatever you say in the name of Jesus, I loose you, You have the power and the authority of Jesus Christ within you to lose that both in the physical and in the spiritual. Amen? And when you realize that authority that you have as the church and as the people of God, you become like a heat-seeking missile when the devil brought a knife. Right? So I just want to encourage you. um, We change lives, but that's not our business to change lives. Our business is to change eternities. And when you pour into this new church building, and thank you for those of you who have, and when you pour into this community and into this church, you're changing eternities. And what you do has an eternal impact, and there will be eternal rewards. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the Word of God. I'm going to get a drink of water first. Excuse me. All right. 
Awesome. If you want to bow your heads, close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you uh, for this church, Lord, and for your people. Lord, I thank you that you are an active God, that you are a God that is alive and well, Lord. And I thank you for this church, Lord, and that they recognize that and that they want to be a part of what you have going on in this community and in this world, Lord. I thank you for your people. I bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning to your people, God. That would be your message, not my own, because I know that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say, but through you, Lord, everybody will be fed. So, Lord, I just surrender the rest of this message to you, and I pray that you would have your way. In the mighty name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, This morning, I've titled this message, Take a Stand. Take a stand, and we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. So, if you have your your Bibles, open up with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to get into the Word of God because how many know that God is always speaking? But if you hear it, depends on if you'll open it up. Amen? I'm going to repeat that because I don't want anybody to miss that, and I don't have a hoarse voice. God is always speaking to you, but if you hear it, it just depends on you if you'll open it up. So, Daniel chapter 3. Just real quick, a summary. So, we have this nation called... Uh, Babylon. And the Babylonians have gone around, they're also known as the Chaldeans, if I say that at all. Uh, they've gone around and they've conquered all these nations, Israel being one of it, one of them. And what they would do is they would take these young men, the best and the brightest of the young men of the nations that they would conquer, and they would take them back to Babylon and they would re-educate them in the way of the Babylonian society. So here in this scripture, we have four Israelite young men that have been taken back uh, to be re-educated. And through the favor of God, they have been put into positions of authority. And before we even get into Daniel chapter 3, I have my point one. If you want to take a stand against this culture, if you want to take a stand against this word world and take a stand for the word of God, you have to guard your identity. Number one, everybody say, I need to guard my identity. Guard your identity. The first thing that the Babylonians did to these four Israelite men was change their name. So, um, gentleman number one we have here, his name is Daniel in the Hebrew, and his name means God is my judge. God is my judge. They changed his name to Belteshazzar, and that means the keeper or the revealer of the hidden treasures of Baal, which Baal was one of their their idols. Um, The next gentleman we have here is Hananiah. His name means the grace of the Lord, the grace of the Lord. His name was changed to Shadrach. Shadrach, which means the inspiration of the sun, which uh, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they worshiped the sun as a god. Uh, the, na- the next man, uh, his name was Mishael. His name means he who is the strong god. He who is the strong god. And his name was changed to Meshach, which means from the goddess Shak, uh, another one of their deities. And then the last gentleman we have here is Azariah. His name means the Lord is my help. The Lord is my help. And they changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of the shining fire. And the fire was kind of similar to the sun. They, they worshiped that as well. It was just like another um, kind of offspring of it. And how many know that the devil's tactics back in the Babylonian times, however many thousands of years ago, are still the same today? The devil doesn't change tactics, ever. He's not um, somebody that comes up with new things. And he is always, the first thing you always go after when it comes to the children of God is he was always try to rob you of your identity. Why is that? You got, I want everybody to hear me on this one. This is a big point. You got everything the devil wanted plus some. 
right? What did the devil want when he was thrown out of heaven? He wanted to be like God. Church, you, young man, you, young woman, you are made in the image of God. You are made to be like God. When you were made, the angel said, who is this creation that you created just below you? You were made with everything the devil wanted. But here's the deal. Here's the thing that drives the devil absolutely insane about you. When the devil messed up, he gets hell for all of eternity. When you messed up, you got Jesus Christ to come and take your place. You got Jesus Christ who came and said, look, I know that they messed up. I know that they don't deserve anything from me, but I'm willing to stand in their place and I'm willing to take their punishment because I love them and I mated them for me. I made them for community with me. And that's why the devil is so upset and why he will always go after your identity because you are made to be like God, which is what he wanted. And unlike him, you've gotten redemption. You just have to make that choice. And today's culture, just like it did, back in the Babylonians, is blatantly attacking people's identities. I'm going to step on some toes here. I love you all, so just bear with me, okay? We're going to be all right at the end of this. We're all going to love each other. Amen? Today's culture is blatantly attacking identities. We have gender confusion, where I'm a male, but I feel like a female, so I'm going to be a female today. We have females who feel like males, so they're males. That's wrong. That's not right. The Bible says that you were made uh, male and female. God created male and female. He didn't make a mistake with you. Amen? You have this uh, moral relativity of, um, you know, my truth is different than my mom's here, so um, neither one of us is wrong. We're both right. And, uh, and don't read the Bible because it speaks out against things like uh, homosexuality or abortion or whatever, you know? And we shouldn't read that because it offends people. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I told you, I'll just step on your toes, but I love you guys, okay? There is the truth, and there's your truth. I love you all, okay? If your truth is different than the truth, it's not the truth that needs to change. It's your truth that needs to change. And we live in a culture where the truth has been canceled because it interferes with your truth. And that's not right. That is not right. And if you speak out against it, you're canceled, or the church has been muzzled because it offends people. And I'm here to tell you, this isn't in my notes, but I feel just really on me right now. I would rather offend you right now by telling you the truth than for you to find it out later. And we live in a culture and a society right now that is so scared to tell people that you are on a highway straight to hell and I don't want to tell you because I, I'm scared of how you're going to think of me. And we live in this culture and I'm telling you, there's, you are called for greater. You are not called to make peace in the world. You are called to tell people of the good news. And that might, that might offend some people. So, getting back on track. I'm sorry, I love y'all. It needed to be said. What is your identity? I call this the, I tried to make it easy to remember, the triple A's. So what is your identity? The word of God is full of news about what your identity is. So if you want more, read the word of God. But I'm going to give you three real quick uh, points, three triple A's is what I call them. What is your identity? Number one, you are adopted. Everybody say, I am adopted. You are adopted. 
Romans 8.15, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And uh, that word, spirit of adoption, so in the original Roman language, it's referring to a sonship through adoption. And that sonship through adoption is talking about the full legal standing of adoption. And uh, I'm just going to real quick go over that because this is powerful. So in Rome, in ancient Rome, uh, when you adopted a child, it meant a few things. Number one, it meant that that chosen, that child was freely chosen and fully desired by the parents. You couldn't be forced into adopting a child. But once you did adopt a child, that child was yours. You couldn't disown it. You can put it back up for adoption. That child is now a legal member of your family, and you cannot change that. And when you were adopted as a child, you received a new identity. And this is powerful. And this is a powerful picture for uh, modern-day Christians because that meant that any uh, debts, any prior obligations, prior commitments, whatever it was, that all got canceled. And you became a new person, based, essentially a new person with new responsibilities and a new uh, identity under the family that adopted you. And even more, being adopted made somebody an heir to their father, which meant that you were um, legally, you were basically like a co-sharer of everything that your father owned. You were a co-sharer in all of his business proceedings, um, in any, if he had any debts, which how many know that our father, our heavenly father does not have any debts, amen? You are fully freed. And, uh, and that's the picture of adoption that we're using. It's a fully new identity. It's like you're a fully new person. So, everybody, turn to your neighbor, say, I'm adopted. Amen. Number two, you are anointed. You are anointed. Everybody say, I'm adopted, I'm anointed. Luke 4, 18, it says this. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Church, this is uh, Jesus talking about himself. And some people might say, well, Jesus was anointed to preach the good news. How many know that when Jesus left the earth, he said, I give you authority over the kingdom of heaven and over the kingdom of the earth, and whatever you want to do, you have the same power of me inside of you. Amen? And you'll do things that I did plus some. That's what Jesus said. Look in the scripture. The same anointing that Jesus is talking about here, he's put inside of you. When you accepted him into your heart, you have the same anointing. So everybody turn to your neighbor, say, I'm adopted. Turn to your other neighbor, say, I'm anointed. All right, last one here. You are adopted, anointed, you are appointed. Everybody say, I'm appointed. All right, John 15, 16, it says this. It says, you did not choose me. But I chose you, and I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Church, you are called to bear fruit in this scripture. You are called to bear fruit that will last. And Jesus would not have commanded, this wasn't a, a suggestion, like go bear fruit, please. This was a command. Jesus said, go and bear fruit, a fruit that will last. Jesus would not have commanded you to do something unless he was going to empower you to do it. You are adopted. Everybody say, I am adopted. 
I am anointed and I am appointed. Amen. This is powerful. When you know your identity, the gates of hell don't stand a chance. You are adopted, anointed, and appointed. All right, we're going to get into Daniel chapter 3 now. Uh, Daniel 3, and I'm just going to cast quick. We're going to go through it. Um, so it says this. We're going to start at verse 1. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. We're going to pause right there. I'm a visual person. I like to learn visually. So I'm about 6 foot 1. Uh, so at about half of me, and that's how wide this thing was. 90 feet, that's the difference if you watch baseball, between home plate and first base. So, I mean, this thing was gigantic. So he builds this huge statue, and he sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all of these officials came and they stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of all these instruments, you are to bow down to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now jump forward uh, to um, verse 14 through 18. It says this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, um, so I should quickly clarify, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Israelite men, uh, they refused to bow. They said, nope, we're not going to bow, and they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says this, it says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of all these musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, that's powerful. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods nor worship the gold statue that you have set up. And this is point number two, if you want to uh, take a stand in this culture, is you need to realize the importance of the brotherhood. Realize the importance of the brotherhood. Um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says this, it says this, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Other translations say a man sharpens another man. Uh, the, I imagine, um, Shad so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I find it really interesting that they're never alone, ever. Um, Shadrach's never mentioned alone. It's never Meshach went and did this, or Abednego uh, was praying this. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were little, the, the three musketeers, essentially. I mean, they were going together wherever they went. Throughout Scripture, you can't find one verse where it just mentions one of them. And I believe that God is stressing something here. He's stressing the importance of being connected to a local uh, community of believers, to being connected to the body of Christ and being connected with people who are like-minded. 
Uh, and I imagine that their relationship wasn't always like, let's go and, uh, you know, just take down these idols and let's go and do all these glorious things for Christ. I imagine every once in a while, like, Shadrach was like, hey, you know, it's kind of early in the morning. Do we really have to pray? Or Meshach was like, I don't know if I want to read my Bible today. Like, we read, like, five like chapters yesterday. Do we really have to get into this? Or Abednego was like, you know what? We're living pretty good here in Babylon. Do we really need to, like, stand up to the statue, or can we just bow just this once? And that's when the other two would come in and be like, no, 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 no. You see, if we compromise on this one little area here, we're going to compromise on this big area here. So we got to get back into the word. We got to keep praying. We got to keep standing against these statues, right? Because here's the deal. Commitment to Christ, hear me on this, commitment to Christ lasts better when you're in community. Commitment lasts better in community. And you are made to live and to grow within a body of believers. Even more so, I'm going to be real bold. I told you I was going to step on your toes. I love y'all. You were made, uh, you were commanded, excuse me, you were commanded to be connected to a body of believers. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says this, let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Right there. That's a command. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Um, I, I was looking at some studies, just kind of looking at this point here. Do you know that only 25% of people who say that they're Christians go to church on a regular basis? Only 25%. That's a quarter. That means 75% of people who say, I'm a Christian, aren't connected to a body of believers. And they're missing out. They're missing out because... That's where God moves, is when he is in his body. That's where God, where, where families are healed, where, um, where ministry takes place is in the body. And that spreads out to the world. And when you're not connected to that, you're missing out. And you're also giving the devil a little bit of a, of a foothold in your life. Or you're letting him into the door just a little bit. Because here's the deal. Who you hang around with is going to determine who you'll become. You show me your top five friends that you spend the majority of your time with, I'm going to tell you exactly what your future is. And I'll be right, I bet. Okay? Um, and I can, I can attest to this, unfortunately. A um, little story in my life I'm not super proud of. Uh, when I went to college, I, was, uh, I went to college over in South Dakota State, uh, South Dakota State University, go Jackrabbits. Uh, I was there for three years. And every single year, I try a different church. I wasn't connected to anybody. I wasn't serving. And I'm telling you right now, that was like, like I didn't grow at all in college. And I should have been. I'm learning all this new information. I should have been growing spiritually because I was growing in every other area of my life. And I came back here uh, before going down to Florida for the Air Force. And it was like, God just lit a fire under me again. And I was growing spiritually because I was around those who know me, who I was connected to, and who were spiritually sound. And when I went down to Florida, I told myself, I said, you know what? I have another opportunity here where I can jump around in churches and never be connected, never know anybody, and just be that, um, you know, that person that gets out at the end of service. Or I can commit that I'm going to stay, and I'm going to serve. And uh, while I've been down in Florida, I've been connected to Destiny Worship Center with Pastor Joshua Neal, and I'm telling you, God is doing something in that church, but he's done something in me as well, because I've gotten connected, I'm serving, 
And I've told myself, you know what, it doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is. It doesn't matter how awkward it is. Um, as long as they're preaching that Jesus Christ was who he says he was, and they're not compromising on their word, I'm here. And I'm planted. And I'm going to be there every single Sunday. And I'm telling you, there is an importance of being connected to the local church because you'll have the opportunity to see God move in your life as well in the lives of others. And that's what you're, com- you're made and you're commanded to do. And you have not just the opportunity, but the honor of being able to be a part of what God is doing in his local church. Amen? All right, moving forward. Number three, point number three, is to make up your mind. And this is an important part. Number three is make up your mind. Joshua 24, 15. It says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are currently living. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Um, there's, there's an important piece here too um, in the scripture. The king gave him another opportunity to bow. The king didn't just go straight to the furnace. The king was like, just bow before my statue and we'll move on from this. And honestly, I'm going to be real, real with y'all. I want to blame them if they will have bowed down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in positions of authority. They were in positions of power. They were living comfortably under the king. They, they were uh, risking a lot by taking a stand. But here's the deal. They had a made-up mind. They had already chosen their hearts. From the moment that statue started being built, they said, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to bow. And they said, and they had a made up mind. And when they had that other opportunity, they said, no, because my mind's already made up. And if you want to live uh, a life that's counterculture and you want to stand for something that has eternal significance, you need to have a made up mind. But I love uh, this part of the scripture if you can put on the next slide. They say, God can and God will rescue us. God can and God will rescue us. And that, that second part, though, about even if he doesn't, that's powerful. But I think that's, um, it's even more powerful to say, you know what, God can rescue me and he will rescue me. Because how many know that God still can rescue you and God still will rescue you? Amen? God isn't like, oh, I did what I did on the cross, have fun. Like, God is right there next to you. In the fire, God was with them. God can rescue you, and he will rescue you. But even if he does not, I'm standing. And that's what they say. They say, even if he does not, I'm going to stand. And they realize something. This king and this world, they can cause suffering to you. They can kill you. But here's the one thing that they can never do. They can take everything away from you. They can't do this one thing. They can't touch your eternity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized that. They said, you know what, king? You can do whatever you want to us, but my eternity is is set. My eternity is secured because I got Christ on my side. I got God on my side. And the same uh, power and authority that they had because they realized that their eternity was set, you have as well. Your eternity is set, and there's nothing that can come and take that away from you. But you got to realize that whenever God tells you to do something, there's always going to be another option. And that's when you have to have that made up mind and say, nope, I'm standing. And you have to do that. If you haven't done that yet, do it today. Regardless, I'm going to stand. 
we're going to get back in the word, and I'm just going to quick go through it. So Daniel 3, verse 19, it says this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for denying to do this, that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them to the furnace, clothes and all. But because the king, in his anger, had demanded that such a hot fire be put in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Did we not tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they all replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Skipping forward here a little bit, just a quick summarize for the sake of time. The king orders them out, and when, he comes, when they come out, all of the people that were there, which were all the rulers of the towns, of the communities within Babylon, they all come and look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And scripture says that they didn't even smell like smoke. Nothing was singed. There wasn't a, a hair on their head that was burned. It was like they were never around fire. And the, the king makes this order. It says this, it says, Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned in heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like their God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions of authority within the providence of Babylon. So point number four, and I'm almost done. Point number four in standing counterculture, standing and taking a stand is this. You have to allow refinement. Allow refinement. Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says this. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, in your suffering, God is work at refining you. Refining you. And uh, I don't know how many of you know the process of refining metal, but with silver, excuse me, with silver, when you refine silver, silver is put into the hottest part of the fire. And the, the silversmith sits there, watching the silver the whole time, the whole process. He's sitting there, and he's watching it. And you know how he knows when that silver is done? He knows that that silver is fully refined when he can see his reflection in it. That's when he knows. And in the same way that the silversmith has his eyes on that silver, when it's in that fire... God is watching you. He's right there next to you. You might not feel it. You might be like, oh, it's hot here, God. What's going on? What are you doing? But God is standing there right now like, child, I got you. I got you. I'm watching here. I'm watching you. I haven't left you. I'm watching you from within the heat. I'm here. And 
the thing is, you might cry out and be like, God, why am I in the fire? Why am I so uncomfortable right now? And here's the truth for you. God is not concerned with how comfortable you are in this life. God is more concerned about seeing himself within you. And that's his goal. That's his mission. He's not concerned. He's not like, I want to give them a comfortable life of all this stuff and, you know, make sure that they're living well. His concern is this. Can I see myself in my child? Is myself going through the world, is my child going through the world showing everybody, look at me, I'm a child of God and people can see me? That's his concern. And sometimes God will put you in that fire to refine you. And it might feel a little bit hot, but he's right there with you and he's just waiting for the moment that he can look and say, that's me. That's me and my child. That's me and my child. I find it really interesting that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and they didn't smell of smoke or anything, but something did happen. Something did happen. Number one, the men who bound them and the men who were throwing them into the fire, they were the ones that died. And there's something powerful there. Sometimes God will put you in the fire to get, get rid of some stuff that doesn't belong there. Get rid of some of the relationships that are pulling you down. The second thing that happened... They walked around untied. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't put in untied. They had ropes that were holding them. And those were the only things that burned off with the ropes. And sometimes God will put you in the fire and allow you to feel that uncomfortability for just a little bit so that the things that are binding you that you think are, are great and um, you know, all this stuff, they'll be burned off and you can walk out freely. Because that's what God is focused on, is he wants you to live a life that's free. The last thing I want to I point out here, and this, there's no scripture, this is just more me kind of uh, just imagining. I imagine that God will put us in the fire sometimes to mature us. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were confident before they went into the fire. Right? They said, no, we're not going to bow. But I imagine when they got put in the fire... They came out differently. They came out differently. Now, they, they had said the words before, but now they had something to prove it. And I imagine that they walked out a little bit, and they had their shoulders back a little bit, they had the chest pumped out a little bit, and their head a little bit raised higher. And they had a faith and a testimony that could stand against the test, has stood, excuse me, has stood against the test of time in the word of God. And they knew, before they knew what their God could do, afterwards, they saw what God did. And when you uh, go into the fire and you say, I'm not going to bow, and you come out, you come out a little bit different. Because you've seen what God did. You talked about what he would do, and now you've seen what he did. So, when you are in the fire, you need to allow refinement. Last point here, and I'm going to close on this. The last point is you need to glorify Christ. Glorify Christ. Um, Before the fire... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to compromise. They said, nope, my God says I'm not doing this, and I'm not going to do it. So come, whatever may come, I'm not bowing. That was before the fire. In the fire, I love this picture. I love this picture. In the fire, we have accounts that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were praying to God, and they were worshiping him. In the fire. I read this scripture, I've read this scripture probably 20 times. And every time I read it, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just being like, I'm in the fire. 
and just walking around. But that's not what our, our history says. That's not what our historical accounts say. It says that they were worshiping God, that they were praying for their nation and praying for their captors, and they were worshiping him for his powerful might. After the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a testimony that they could use to strengthen the other. Used to strengthen others. And the powerful thing about their testimony is this. Nobody could deny it. Because it was the city leaders, and not just the city leaders, but the national leaders of Babylon. So when they went back to their hometowns, this testimony went with them. And the whole country of Babylon knew the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And more importantly, the name that they, of the God that they served. And nobody could deny this testimony. And the same thing that God did with them when God did this powerful act through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and made a testimony that nobody could deny, God wants to do that in you. If you'll just take a step into the fire and say, you know what, God, I'm standing here no matter what happens because I know that you're going to bring me through one way or the other. God wants to give you a testimony that nobody can deny. However, in order this, for this to happen, you have to be bold and stand confidently on the truth of God's word and refuse to compromise, no matter what culture or society stand, throws at you. And you can't allow fear into your life, because with God, how many know that with God, there's no room for fear? God fills up the space, and you can't be afraid. Isaiah 43, 5-7 says this, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children, I love this, I will bring your children from the east, and I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back from me. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I am created, who I have formed, and who I have made. Church, I'm going to close on this, okay? Culture is always going to change. Society is always going to change. There's always going to be something in this book that offends somebody and that you're not supposed to talk about. Always. But you are called to live greater. You are called to stand strong on the truth and refuse to compromise. That's what Jesus has commanded us to do. So, regardless of how culture changes, this word is the same yesterday as it is today, as it will be tomorrow. It never changes. The word of God never changes. Stand on it. Make up your mind. Stand with me, if you would, please. John 16, 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus wasn't trying to hide that. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Jesus never promised us an easy life ever. In fact, right there, he promised us that we will have tribulation, but he did promise us that we'll never be alone. We'll never be alone. And I want to just go back quick to my first point about your identity. You are, what are you guys? You are adopted, anointed, and appointed. You are adopted, you are anointed, and you're appointed. Here's the thing, though, about God. Jesus doesn't force himself upon anybody. Unlike Roman adoption, the child has to choose to go with the father as well. And Jesus is here today. And he's saying, look, if you don't know me, I want you. I want you to be adopted, anointed, appointed. That's your identity when you know Jesus. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. But for those of you who don't know, like Jesus, what I'm talking about, 
we are our sinful creatures. And Jesus came because of our sin and because we were separated from God. Jesus came and said, look, I see what they've done, but I'm going to restore them. I'm going to restore them to good standing with me. And he died on a cross and was resurrected three days later. And now you have the opportunity and you have um, the ability to accept him into your heart and to be made new and to be cleansed if you'll just repent and turn towards him. So we're going to pray a prayer together. If you don't know that, if you don't know Jesus, um, this is your opportunity. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. There's no better time than now. So as a community, if you just want to repeat after me, bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I believe that your son Jesus came. I believe that he lived a sinless life for me. I believe that he suffered and died on a cross for my sins. I believe that his, he was resurrected from the grave three days later. And now I can be fully redeemed to you. But Jesus, I repent. I welcome you into my heart. You would make me new. And I thank you for saving me. In the mighty name of Jesus, and all God's people said amen. Amen. With that, we're going to transition to communion. We have this slide up here. If, if today was the first day that you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want to, um, we just want to help you with your walk with the Lord and, and celebrate with you and also help you with next steps and how you can grow in your faith. Um, God is so good.